Empathy Went, a podcast series about writing, literature, and art. Presented by Broken Dimanche Press and hosted by John Holton as part of Trapez's 2021 exhibition, Touche Moi. Hi there, welcome, welcome back. We took a little hiatus. We're still in season two of Empathy When. The swimming pool at Trope has long been closed for its winter break. And I'm currently recording this from the first weeks of 2022. So we're right, right in the midpoint between the pool being opened and closed. But I'm very excited because we do have four episodes left to share with you, and they promise to be excellent conversations with some fantastic writers. So one thing or other made it so that we uh, didn't have the opportunity to get them edited and put out to you in time for the season that was. But now that we have gotten our act together, we will be coming back with these four episodes. The first one of which was a recommendation by one of our guests from the season one, Alan Murren. Thank you, Alan. And my guest is May Lantan, who is a fantastic writer. And I was very glad that I got to not only read her work, which you can hear I'm a fan of, but also get to talk to her. May Lan is a, is a writer and has put out a short story collection, Things to Make and Break, which is published in the UK by Skepter and in the US by Coffee House Press. And her fictions appeared in Zoetrope, All Story, The Atlas Review, The Reader, and Arete. She studied art in London and now lives in Berlin. And as you'll hear, we talk about also her work as a ghostwriter. And basically, I think we go at her practice from the inside out. We look at questions about craft in relationship to detail, playing with form and where one can get their inspiration as well as some earlier formative experiences of Maylands. I think the collection is really fantastic and I really encourage you all to follow the link in, in the show notes because it's available as an ebook and it's just remarkable. And so I hope this conversation piques an interest in you all to go and follow up her writing. You'll also get to hear her read from her writing. So um, in the second half of the of the conversation, we have a really great uh, couple of readings by Maylan from her work in progress. So make sure to check that out. Meanwhile, do please share it and, uh, you know, like and subscribe to the podcast as you're all familiar with from every other podcast asking you to do the same. Uh, it really helps us uh, kind of keep, keep our numbers growing and get as many people as possible onto the sunny terrace of Trope. I'll be back in uh, next week or two with another episode, so make sure to keep your eye out. And in the meantime, do please enjoy May Lantan, episode number seven, season two, Empathy When. Even when I was a kid, for every 20 books I read, I would write one because I kind of thought that everything was a dialogue, but I never thought about publishing or becoming a writer. I have a sister who's a lot older than me. She's 12 years older than me. 
and she has become a, um, a developmental psychologist. So when I was growing up, I was kind of her experiment and she, she paid a lot of attention to how I was growing up. And uh, she spent a lot of time with me, even though she was a teenager and I was like a toddler. Um, and a lot of the things we did together was that whatever media we consumed, we would then make the same thing. So if we watched a beauty pageant, we would then have a beauty pageant, you know, the interview um, section and all that stuff. And um, if we watched a comedy, we would sit there and write the script of a comedy. And the fact that I was Ford and she still would say like, no, that's not very good. You know, do it, do <laughs> gotcha. it better. Right. So Amazing. Yeah, so it made me feel like I had permission to do those things a long time before most people think about doing them. And you had like a mature guidance, so to speak. I mean, when yeah. you're four, it's hard to put a good beauty pageant together. But if you've got a, what's a 16-year-old? 16-year-old sister, then, yeah. you know, she's got all the swag and all the knowledge to do it. Wow. And she made it really real. So yeah. she made all the fantasy world just very real and very professional and you felt that you had to perform well and was she one of your first readers then if you were writing a book every every yeah, 20 books yeah and she's she's well she didn't read any of the books i wrote because she had you know better things to do but <laughs> when we were writing plays together and stuff like that she would be very just be very real with me like i was a partner yeah so but that's something that when she went away to college i kept doing it i you know yeah. i would read a book and I, I remember sending a book um, when I was about seven or eight years old. I wrote a book and sent it to a publisher because I sort of clicked that, oh, there's this whole, you know, I suddenly understood, oh, that address in the front of the book is yeah. the place where you send it. So I remember, like, not understanding that you have to go to the post office. Yeah. <laughs> I just took every stamp in our house and put it all over the, the letter and sent it off. Oh, wow. And I wrote them a letter saying, you know, I notice you publish a lot of children's books, but you don't have any children authors. So, you know, here here I am. Oh, my God. <laughs> so, that's amazing. Wow. Yeah. Jeez, you should have been doing this at Goldsmiths. They would have loved this conceptual. Yeah. But they wrote work. me a very nice note back that was like, no, thanks. But, you know, oh. it's very sweet. And we all had a good laugh about it and stuff. That's amazing so. story. Wow. And, did, and that's really interesting. And what... With your sister, what point did she know that she was into developmental psychology? Not saying that, is that what she was doing with you? Not really. No, so she um, was studying music. She's a very talented pianist and she uh, went to college to study music. And it was a bit later that she realized that uh, psychology was something she was interested in. And she's now actually a um, psychology of music uh, professor. And she's written three books on the subject. So in, in various mediums, so uh, in film, in advertising, and in multimedia. So she has one wow. book on each subject. Wow. And does that, it sounds like you come from a creative family then, if the two of you went to study art forms. That's a great belief in art as a vocation. Not really. Um, my parents are both scientists okay. who both became business people. Right. So, um, and they weren't terribly literary or anything like that. When I was growing up, we didn't really have that many books in the house, especially not for me, which was quite good because I just grew up reading adult books. Yeah. And my parents didn't do that thing of taking us to the library or anything like that. So I think that's quite a good way to train someone to become really creative because yeah. it makes you kind of fetishize those things, you know, like yeah. film and and books and all those things seem very precious and yeah like it, it wasn't important 
And yeah. I do remember that whenever I read a book, my mum always said, oh, you know, you're going to go blind. Like, oh, wow. just don't read so much. Or, <laughs> so I feel like that's quite a good way to, yeah. to encourage that. Yeah. But because of childhood rebellion, you'll do what, what you're kind of not encouraged. I guess to just do. not shoving it down your throat and letting yeah. you, you know, figure it out. And yeah. it made it more glamorous. Yeah. For sure. Yeah, I can, I can relate to that. And was this in the UK that you grew up? or I'm in Hong Kong. Okay, okay. And so you went then to Goldsmiths and studied art. I didn't know, I don't think I knew that. Okay. And so when did you start writing these stories that I, I read in this connection? So after I went to art school, um, I wrote a book after I left. So I felt like when you're at art school, you feel like there's no language. You're trying to do everything visually. And so after I graduated, I just felt like there was a kind of accrual of language that had built up. And so I just wrote a book really quickly and then thought, oh, you know, what am I going to do with this? Yeah. And then I um, sent it to a few agents and I got an agent quite quickly. But then it took a long time to get published. I wrote an, a number of novels mm -hmm. that were rejected, mm -hmm. uh, which I thought was quite good because I thought I was practicing you know, I knew they weren't up to scratch, but yeah. I was just trying it out. So I was always kind of relieved when they didn't get published. And then I started writing uh, short stories. And from the very first time I wrote a short story, it's the first story in the book. Um, okay. Something just happened where I... Legendary. Yeah, yes. It just, I wrote a few paragraphs and everything just fell into place. And I thought, okay, this is, I know what I'm doing with this, you know. Well, I mean, to be honest, I read the, the stories all all over the place, like any which way, which is always interesting with a collection of stories. How do you navigate them? And some collections have arcs and some do kind of pay off if you read them in, in order. But uh, I haven't really got across how impressed I was by this collection of stories. It's remarkable. You know, I'm not just saying that because I'm sitting across the table from you. It's been a real kind of eye-opening pleasure to spend, spend the summer reading them. Thank you. Um, yeah. So, for example, that story, legendary, that they um, that the collection opens with. If I remember correctly, it basically kind of deals with a couple, and the woman in the couple uh, has a kind of interest in her boyfriend's exes. Yeah. And I just felt that this, you kind of, she says at one point, like they all have one thing about them, and it's kind of your testimony to your ability to create details. Where you're like, where the hell? Do you get all these details? Because they're all very believable things that would mark out an X about one thing about them. Uh, yeah, that's my favorite thing to do is make up fake details that sound real. Yes. It's very tempting to borrow them from the stories that you hear because things like that always stick in my mind. But I really like making them up and making them feel as real as, as I can. Yeah. Um, what's that like? Do you just sit around? It's just like a game. And I think that's why I like short stories. And that was the thing that clicked yeah. when I wrote, when I started writing them. It wasn't that I thought it was so much better than anything else I'd written. It was just that I understood how to make it a game and how to make it fun and how to trick myself into wanting to do it all the time. Yes. So, and with the novel, I felt like I was always writing it thinking, does this look like the thing that it's meant to be? Is yeah. it going to pass? And with short stories, I didn't care what people thought or if it would pass. I just knew it was the thing that I wanted to do Yeah. that felt really joyful to make yeah they yeah. do feel joyful even though it can be quite dark and the, the details are joyful these like really specific turns uh, observations or turns of character or uh, i really love um specificity and i love people telling me the stories of their life 
yeah. really mundane things. Like I went to the shop and I bought way too many apples. Yes. You know, this kind of thing. It just really excites me because it's, they're kind of revealing the mystery of their life to you. Yeah. And that thing that you can look at anyone on a bus and think, what's it like to be them? What will they do when they go home? Yeah. And the more boring it is, the thing that they might do, the more I, I'm there for it, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I think, like, the, 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 the thing about details is just such a crucial thing. I think it's something that, like, can make or break a piece of writing. And it's such a strange, banal thing to say, oh, if you get the details right. But it's it's almost as important, I think, in the in the the toolkit of a prose writer than metaphor or simile or whatever the other literary tricks are that are employed by, mm-hmm. say, a poet. Uh, I think that there's, there's a few things, like it's funny you mentioned the, the apple. I think there's a few themes that kind of came out or, or, or um, tropes in your writing. And I don't know if you're familiar, aware of them. One is like rotten fruit or an apple. And so sometimes a lot of characters think about I think I counted three times maybe that rotten fruit. So I've got the button open on my shirt. Everybody <laughs> <laughs> I mean, was sitting here. Sorry. Sorry about that. I mean, that's part of a bigger theme, which is that nobody really successfully cooks or eats anything in the whole book. Yes. Okay. And so the rotten fruit is part of that. Yeah. And that's something that I think in the book, everybody's trying to figure out their desires. And they're all very confused about their desires, partly because they're all so young. Yeah. Um, but there's never a meal that's, you know, really well made and and consumed. Yeah. It's no. all just like drying up or going in the bin or some, yes, you know. It's, yeah. I guess I'm seeing that now. Definitely no Japanese pancakes no. on a Sunday morning. So it's just that unconsummated desire is all through the book. And yeah. Appetite is really... You, you also, there's noses uh, come up all the time. And so I have a big fucking nose and I... Uh, really bad scar too um i'm just painting a picture there for the listeners at home <laughs> trying to as you, you, as you a, study it add a sketch of it in the show notes maybe y- yes yes uh, exactly link link in the show notes to my nose but uh oh no it's interesting because even in one of the stories there's two identical twins even that about them is not the detail is actually they were triplets and they lost one of their brothers and they have a broken one of them has a broken nose and it was really interesting because it almost kind of pivots on this distinction i kind of wanted there to be a feeling that all the people in the stories are kind of talking to each other behind the scenes or that somehow they're not really linked stories but sometimes someone will say something and then in another story it kind of comes up in a weird way and i like that feeling that that they're all conspiring in a way or they're all hanging out when we're not looking or it does kind of feel like that, even though the locations are kind of... The locations are really interesting. Like, New Jersey's mentioned, New York, London, Japan is mentioned, L.A., Miami. Collections based all over the place. I think my question is, where <laughs> where were you when you were writing all these stories? Were you in these locations? I was in London, and I never write about the place I'm in. I can only write in, about the place that I'm not. So I, I think I've rarely written about... Uh, London because I've written a lot while I was there. I think you can, um, for some people, being immersed in that place is really useful, but for me it's the absence of it and missing it. That's when I can really feel it and say what what are the things that made up that place. But you have been to the places. Yeah, I think with choosing the different locations, it is kind of an artist thing of the way that you would choose a medium and say, I'm going to make this and I'm going to use you know wood or acrylic paint or you know wire 
I always think that every story has a climate. The language yes. has a climate, as well as the texture and cadence and melody. The temperature of the story is really important to me. And a really fast way to communicate that is with place. So. It's a helicopter <laughs> overhead. Uh, that's, I love that. Every, every piece of writing has a climate. That's a wonderful way of thinking about uh, as, as almost places to, to enter into. I've written down here a big quote from Transformer. One of the stories is called Transformer. This is the problem with digital books, because I read your book, uh, I bought the ebook, and uh, whilst it was convenient, you know, because it was always, I could always check in on it, uh, I do miss the paperback, the physical copy, but there's soon going to be some available in Berlin, I believe. Yeah, so um, Shakespeare and Sons has got So this, can I just read this quote to give people a sense of your writing? We move into a flat overlooking a prison that's concreted over with pieces of glass jutting out. We drink recar on the balcony in the sun. I press last number redial and speak to quite a young sounding prostitute who says she knows how to choke people. Now that's out of context, but isn't that fabulous? (laughs) It's like this detail of even the last number redial. I was like, yeah, I guess that's a thing. A tremendous device for putting in a, a detail that's extraneous to the go-ahead plot, and then you know that makes young, it kind of a period piece as well. I think yes, there is quite a number of voice machines, and uh, is that what they were keeping yeah. called? Just the idea of having this shared phone where both of your calls are in this receptacle that can be you know forensically checked. Yeah, it's so different. At like in this little phone at the at the entranceway to your apartment, uh, it's so weird. Yeah. Little tape and you press play and you know, all these messages. Yeah, no, I love that. It's like really kind of cool uh, narrative device to be to to be able to deploy. But a young sounding prostitute, and then she says she knows how to choke people. And again, again, that's an echo. There is in other stories. There's like people who like to be choked during sex. Well, young sounding is a really good way to tell you that the person who's saying it is young. Otherwise, it would be that she's older and she's saying that this person's young. Yes. Do I understand that? Yeah. <laughs> she, the, the, the narrator is young. Yeah, yeah, it's just a quick way to tell you that. Yeah. No, so, I mean, I, I'm really f- happy to have heard how you work with details because it's definitely something that I really enjoyed. What about, like, second person? Uh, the, cho- the choosing second person appears, I think, twice in the collection. Is that something that you like? Or what's the benefit writing in the second person is there an intimacy yeah because i think there's an intimacy with all of the stories especially in this kind of collection because the you get to know the the people who are telling you these stories really well but they don't know who you are so you're getting pulled in deeper and deeper with them but they they actually don't know you so i think it becomes a bit weird after a while so by having a few stories that are in the second person at least they're addressing someone even if it isn't you so in one of them, it's a letter where, there, you know, there has to be a purpose to them saying you. So mm-hmm. in one of them, there's a letter where something's revealed that the, the, the addressee doesn't know about. And then in the other story with a you, the point of that is that they're all different people. And that's the only device where you could tell a story in which the other person is, you know, a lot of different people, but they're always looking for the same person. They're searching for the same lover every time. Yeah. So, but that's the only way you could do that without it being really complicated. 
Yeah, that's a very reassuring answer, as opposed to because I think sometimes with the second person, it's used as a it's used in a in a non taught out way necessarily, or what what is it bringing to the to to the piece of writing? Well, one other story, uh, Candy Glass has quite a distinct formal difference to the rest. It uses a kind of conceit of a screenplay, and it's also a fascinating story because if I understood it correctly, it looks at, has a trans transgender character. And, and also has like transgender sex scene or a scene that a sex scene that is which is always scary to write I guess. Do you write scripts? Are you interested in writing? For um, I read a lot of scripts. I like the way that they are structured. I love the sculptural look of them and yes. how you can just burn right through them. Um, the, they have like a really clear rhythm, and also you can really see the beats of the story unfolding. So I feel like for uh, writers, it's really great. Yeah, to to read a lot of scripts, Be because it's so economic. Yeah, yeah, you know, just action, and you have to constantly pace. Yeah, like you yeah, said. and then how the time is also unfolding, and you know, however many pages per minute of screen time. Whereas when you read a book, it like morphs. You know, it yeah. could be like slowed down and speeded up, which is also quite cool. But I love that regularity and rhythm of the of the screenplay. Yeah. Plus, script writers are really good with structure. They also work really hard. They'll write every scene 20 times if they have to. Yeah, and it's so, you know, you also know that it's going to be rewritten up right up to the minute it's shot. And then even then, it's going to go into an editing process. So really, it's, it's uh, collaborative writing uh, in its essence. Yeah, and it's very pure because it's this just really um, distilled kind of intense vision of what you're going to see in the film. But it's also open because all these other things are going to come into this yeah. picture at the end, you know. Yeah. And it's great when you know that it's not necessarily going to be filmed. So you have a lot of fun with the form that you yeah. can have these descriptions. But it, it's funny because it came up in an, in an earlier chat that I had on the terrace this summer. It was Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. And I just read it. And somehow this story also features a stunt uh, actor <laughs> have you seen Quentin Tarantino's Once Upon a Time in Hollywood yeah um, so somehow even though you probably wrote this story before that movie uh, it somehow evoked this world of Hollywood and stunt actors and uh, which I thought was really yeah just really well done have, so his, his scripts are really fun to read because he didn't go to film school so he writes them in his own way that isn't standard yeah so it's very poetic I really recommend reading them I did. I read the, the the script to Pulp Fiction, and maybe Jackie Brown. Actually, yeah. I was a huge Tarantino fan yeah. when I was a teenager. So it's also just a fun way to get out of a reading rut. If you've been reading so many books, um, just reading a lot of scripts just opens everything up, and it it feels a bit like reading poetry as well. Yeah, maybe you'd like to to read a little because uh, I read a quote of your of your work, uh, but. Maybe you yourself should read. Sure. Um, I decided to read something new that I'm working on because I think it's always um, fun to do that. Um, so this is, I'm working on a couple of different books at the moment. Um, and the one I'd like to read to you today is the one that's the most, um, you don't really need to know anything about it for me to read it to you, uh, especially because I'd like to just read a short section. In the morning, the tiger and the lion pick me up in front of the clubhouse in their old gold car. They're wearing waterproof watches and their fur looks comb-sleek, like they've been swimming. We roll down the hill and wait by the guard tower for the striped barrier to swing up. It's so early you can still see stars. 
On the radio, Salia is singing Material Girl in Cantonese and English, except she's made it about something completely else. The AC vent blows its good plastic fumes all over my face. Today, Tiger drives and Lion drives shotgun. We drive around the palm trees and into the street and get stuck in traffic. I look out the window. My sister's sitting on the ramp of the Porsche showroom, waiting for the real school bus, underlining her eyes with glitter pencil while the pale, shiny trash bounces past. Sailor's always early to everything, but then she still has to get ready, which is honestly just another form of being late. My parents got knocked up with her the second my adoption papers came through, and she was two months premature. That's how we're both 15 in such totally different ways. I'm 15 like someone in a book, and she's 15 like someone on TV. The three of them together look like a sailboat ad for cologne that smells of crushed glass and polished spoons. When the traffic starts to move, she looks up and recognizes the car. She smiles and waves as we glide up the flyover. Her lithium eyes almost see-through. Nice, thank you very much. And tell me, do you, who, has, who are huge influences as writers? Do you have writers who you would say, refer to as, I don't know, touchstones or... I mean, I, there's too many to list, but I've okay. definitely been very shaped by Mary Gateskill. Okay. Um, she's one of my favorite writers. I love that she can write novels and short stories. And my favorite thing about her writing is that when you read it, you can't believe that anyone else wants to read that. It feels so private. It feels like something that only you would, would like somehow. Wow, that's um, a very strong description. I don't know her work at all, if I'm honest. So yeah, that makes she just me has this, curious. She has a way of taking any moment and making it like five layers of saran wrap that she kind of picks apart. But it's not boring or obscure. Wow. It's just, yeah, she's great. Is she, is she American? Yeah. yeah. Okay. And she's a very slow writer, so she comes out with a book every five or ten years, but it's just... Oh, I love that. Yeah. <laughs> That's always... It's also like those writers who only publish their first book when they're 60. Uh, they're my, you can always see a favorites. huge development in between. Yeah. yeah. That's interesting. Have you ever read much any Roberto Bolaño? Everybody's telling me about him. Okay. No, I haven't. I, I have... I bought a lot of his books, though, because people keep telling me that I would like it. Somehow the shorts, the, de the, the, the use of detail and the, 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 like you said, the, the climate of your stories is evocative of his. But do you want to read some more? I'm sure. I'll read another section from the same book. The boys are all called fuckface. They go, why are you so fat? I show them the perfect blades of my teeth and say, I have to be, because inside this body I keep all my other bodies. I have an army of these. My steak and cedar body outlined on the sidewalk my Bambi baby body torn from the map, my creamy afternoon body in a cigarette town in the south, my basement makeout body slipping the clutch, my out-of-body body licking the lens, my soft, Christless body painted on a gold tooth, my weekend bedtime body dripping from the holes of the mouthpiece, the bloody Kleenex bodies of my tormentors, my pretty apocalypse body twitching in the pool lights, my bugged body with the bass coming through. It's ten past three behind the gym, and there are no more adults on earth. The boy who's hated me all year in a quiet, powerful way writes on my stomach with a sharpie. Girls can't be fags, someone says. My close-up body for forgetting, 
My fateless body fired from a rifle. My breathless decoy body you blow into. My frozen seas of glass body you blow up. My board of money body pressed against the windshield of another body. My nostalgia for the future body sliding down the screen. My forever instant body turning inside out. My complicated shortcut body tearing open, switched out for a body braced for the drop. These bitches are set to inherit the planet. They have long blown bangs and feed on diamonds and steroids. They carry me to the PE supply closet and tie my hands to my feet with jump ropes. Light from the hole splices their faces. People say your memory begins recording when you're three or four, but they're wrong. Mine goes back to zero and before. I remember everything. I remember waiting to be made. It was very windy, and I was out there by myself, running circles in the dust with a flashlight in my mouth. I was soft shell, blinking all the colors. I flipped my oily lily mane and crossed the desert in a burning truck that exploded by a billboard. My mom was a Spider Man, and my dad was chicken pox, and they didn't know how to touch. They steered a knife into an apple and drove into the lake. Stereo speakers melting in the monsoon. There was just one song that summer, and my eyes were killing. I fell and made a hot hole in the concrete. A man and a woman climbed out holding fountain pens. They wrote my new name on each other's lips and took me to the beautiful country. In the tree small town where I would skin all my knees, the woman stirred ribbons into milk. Inside her was a basketball that bounced once and turned into a baby with a mirror face. I became pure appetite and empress. I'll be bigger than a galaxy someday. When I come out of that metal room, the sky is eggs frying. The boys are already halfway across the playground, liquid shapes outlined in black. They don't look back. I find my bag and put my things inside it. The school office is closed and the lobby is dark. The plants are cool and green. Spots of light from a car outside skate across the wall. I buy a Coke from the machine. I open it and take a sip. Blood smudges the top of the can. I wipe it off and walk into my summer. What are you working on? What was that we just heard from? So, this is a、um, really short, ranty novel about、um, a teenage psychopath on her summer vacation. But it's <laughs> so much fun to write. <laughs> Sounds great.、Uh, I feel like、um, I'm writing.、Read. Yeah, I'm just. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'm writing a couple of different things that are more or less plotty. And this one's really fun because it's more.、Um, it just, it's just language driven. Yeah, I can yeah. I can sense that from it. That is fun. One thing I wanted to ask was、um, because I've mentioned, I've alluded to sex once or twice already, and there's, you know, there's a whole plethora of sex in, in your collection to go back to. What do you t- is sex good for story? Does it help pivot narrative、uh, points? I just think that、um, it depends on the story that you're telling. Uh, this is a book about relationships, so it would be really weird not to include the sex. And I think that、uh, that's really important to see you know, who has the power, who wants the power. In that sense, it's really interesting. It's just like another conversation that the characters are having. And I also think that it's just funny when people talk about sex writing, because I don't think there's any such thing as sex writing. It's just writing. You know, it's, it's just like you wouldn't change your tone of voice to write about anything else that they do. No. 
I guess the danger some writers fall into is just bad metaphors <laughs> instead yeah. of just describing the the act at hand. But I think you have a tremendous confidence because there's, in the sense of, there's almost, it feels like there's no area, like there's B BDSM, there's polyamorous relationships, there's uh, homosexual relationships and uh, inter-family inter kind of relationships. I mean, yeah, it's like all kind of there, like there's no subject off, off yeah. the table. Yeah, it's really important, I think, to include everyone and... I definitely grew up reading uh, a whole body of literature that didn't include me in it right. at all. So it's one of my favorite things about writing a book. It's feeling that you can make it so that people look in the book and see themselves. Yeah. Or they can, they can project them, you know, themselves or their, their lives into the book. Yeah. One other thing I wanted to touch on was your job as a ghostwriter. You do, so do you write like nine to five, Monday to Friday, seven days a five days a week normally yeah and it's not always your own work no yeah it's i i like to use the ghostwriting job as a kind of gymnasium yes so i'll do it in the morning a workout yeah yes it's a playground yeah like yeah. workout makes it sound too hard <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah, yeah. um so i'll do that your own stuff. yeah i'll do yeah. that in the morning and then once i feel it just warmed up then i'll switch to my thing Oh, that's funny. Okay. Yeah. I would be the opposite. I always feel like I'm sharpest in the morning and then... But sharpest is... I think I want to be more sharp for working on the client work. Yeah. Because they want that sharpness. Right. I want to be more fuzzy and less less filtered, I think, to work on my thing. So it's good if I'm a little faint or a little yeah. fuzzy. Well, I think that's because the one other aspect of, of your of your work that I, I gather is that you're, you have a tremendous measure... Oh, you write what you want to write and publish what you want to publish. Yeah, I think a big part of doing that is not publishing everything that you write. Yes. So withholding, um, I always think of athletes training and running races in private. And I just don't feel like I need to publish everything that I ever write. See, I think that's, tre I think that's tremendous. That's the word of this podcast. <laughs> uh, I think that's fantastic because so many writers have the opposite tendency, maybe myself included. Well, agents don't love it. <laughs> they don't love that tendency. But right. It's fine. Absolutely, it's more than fine. Yeah, I think it's. I think it's really important that you have this, you know, ability for yourself to to be able to say, actually, that's just not. It's not my my May West, so I'm not gonna put it out there. It's great service to readers. <laughs> I think it makes it more fun too. Yeah. Because then, when a new book comes out, people can see that you've changed a lot you're doing different things it's not just a continuation from the last work or mm -hmm. you're not repeating mm -hmm. i do you have any books that you're you really can't wait for the writer to write or like to be published like i'll give you an example mine is uh cormac mccarthy's kind of getting on and apparently he's got one book and it's supposed to be published a year two years ago or something like that right. so we're really curious to see what what his, his last book what what his, his book would be his next book I'm just book. excited about every book that doesn't exist and especially for books by new writers that's always there's always this, a special energy in yeah. a new book and then at the moment there's so many books in translation that are coming out yeah that are just so fresh and just really fun yeah so I'm just excited about every book yeah <laughs> Maybe some lame that's very Borgesian of you all the <laughs> books that haven't been yet been written I love that. 
that's the next book I'd like to read. What do you, what do you read? Do you read any other uh, languages besides English? I try to read German. Yeah. Um, and at the moment, I don't really read literary fiction in German. I yeah. read more like um, thriller type stuff, which is just clearer. Yeah. Um, I also try to read Dutch because uh, it's my home language that my parents speak. Okay. And that's something that we spoke at home, but I don't have a really a knowledge of written Dutch. So I have to read that out loud and then I can hear it and then I can understand it. That's interesting. But my Dutch is going down the tubes since learning German. Do they not complement each other? Uh, like? Not for me. Okay. Yeah. Well, fair enough. I mean, it's probably, we can only have so many compound words in our brains. All right. So what do you think? Random binary uh, section. Yeah. Uh, fake news or... Conspiracy theories. Oh, no. <laughs> That's a terrible one. No, I refuse. <laughs> okay. I refuse um, That's fair enough. I almost put that in there just to be, I don't know, <laughs> topical. Okay, what about uh, computer games or board games? Board games. Yeah. Yeah, they're great. Did you play them with your sister when you were young? Yeah, or and we, we actually... Probably made your own. <laughs> yeah. We used to get all the board games and try and make a game of all the games. Oh, my God. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> of course. Wow. Okay. This is a bit more abstract. Uh, pestle or the mortar? Do you know what I'm talking about? A pestle yeah. and mortar? So, I mean, I haven't really thought about which I'd prefer. But Just visually, the mortar. Ah, yeah. Yeah. Okay, this is, this is one close to my heart. Elevators or staircases? Elevators, because they smell amazing. Yeah. Well... Hopefully they do. Not a, no, they always have this smell, like almost a just a metallic, battery, gasoline, yeah. future smell that yeah. I'm very into. So. You're never, have you ever got stuck in one? Um, yeah. Okay, you're like, I love this. <laughs> <laughs> I was never fixed. No, I'm joking. I mean, I grew up in Hong Kong. You know, you're yeah. going to get stuck in an elevator several times in your life if you grew up in a city like that. Yeah. yeah. I see. I'm not made for this world. I, I, that's, I couldn't think of anything worse. But. Well, I heard a really terrible story about someone who got stuck in an elevator where it was like an express one. Okay. So they couldn't just like open the doors. And it was some kind of business building. So he was stuck there the whole weekend. And he didn't have his phone or anything. And he survived by comparing two dollar bills that were in his wallet. Just so that it's like not go insane. Okay. So. <laughs> but then I heard another story about someone who got stuck in an elevator with like two weeks of shopping. And that's what I want. To happen to me. <laughs> so, yeah, like, oh, eat all the ice cream before it melts. Yeah, start with the ice creams. Wow, that's that's quite an image. And uh, I saw one of these the other day unexpectedly. Um, hot air balloons or zeppelins? Hot air balloon. Yeah. Definitely. Um, yeah, I saw a zeppelin the other day. Oh. Hence, yeah, uh, which was really weird. It was an advertisement, but uh, an airship. Yeah. Uh, blueberries or bananas? Blueberries. Yeah, they're much better for you. Yeah. <laughs> See, what I like about a fruit with skins is that I feel like they're more hygienic or something. I don't know if I'm honest. <laughs> uh, that gets back to your themes of the noses and rotten fruit and teeth. Teeth, teeth also comes up a lot. Um, well, teeth and noses are pretty honest. Yeah, you can tell a lot about somebody. Like, it's funny, like, I fell off a bike. That's how I got this scar on my nose. And I, I just sometimes think, like, I'm such a 
fucking big fat fucker. <laughs> why did I end up getting landing? Why did gravity? Why did I land right here? It doesn't make any sense. I could have landed here. I could have landed like over here on my shoulder. Um, anyway, uh, what about dreams in fiction? Because that's the one other thing that Roberto Bolaño often deploys. Is like he does exactly what you know an MFA might try and dissuade you from, which is putting dreams in a story. I think it's just like the sex writing thing. Yeah. It's just you're good at it or you're not good at it. It's not to do with the thing itself. So. Yeah. That's fair enough. I mean, I think, I think they can be really great, and like reading them, like the good detail suddenly really makes it believable uh, somehow. Or yeah, I I'm in favor of them. Yeah, I mean the whole thing is a dream, anyway. Yes. So. Again, another very Borgesian <laughs> statement. I like I like it a lot. Do you read Borges? Yeah. 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 And were you ever in a music band? Was I ever yeah. in a band? No. No. Okay. I like the way you call it a music band. <laughs> no, makes me sound around eighty years old. <laughs> um, it's uh, you'll probably find I have a answering machine too back home. Uh, no, I don't. But um, um, so what's next? What what are you up to? Like you're writing this, and is this going to be the next book that we'll be able to buy? I'm not sure because I'm doing a couple of different books at the same time. So I th I think I'll just see which ones finish first, and also which one I want to publish first. Yeah, so. that's amazing <laughs> to have that luxury. Again, like not sprinting to, to be published. I think it seems really healthy. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I have a few things that I say I'm working on and then a few things, I, a few projects I don't talk about that much. And I feel like the ones that no one wants me to write or knows that I'm writing are the ones that I like working on more, so they might be done first. Yeah, so. that's great. And uh, But listen, thank you so much for joining uh, me at, uh, and all of us at the Tress. Thanks for having me. It's been great. Thank you. Was kann mich noch retten? Meine Tabletten 